our reading this evening is taken from Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus. So from Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 1 to verse 6. And in my Bible, this section's headed, Unity in the Body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Great words. Just a short passage, but there is so much in them. And as we come to think tonight about the challenge of effective discipleship, I couldn't be taking a series on some of the challenges which are part of church life without a reference to this particular passage, which has been so formative in my thinking about church over the years. Uh, because the, particularly because the opening verse of what we have just read was the verse that was given to me at my ordination. The preacher was Barry White, now with the Lord after a what was sadly a very long and debilitating illness, but at the time when I was ordained, he was full of life and energy, a great scholar and leader. And he spoke to me particularly at my ordination on these words, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, right at the beginning of Ephesians 4 and verse 1. And so this has always been an important passage for me. But there's a challenge here for us all tonight because we are called to be effective disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think this passage sets out very clearly some of the things that are important in that. But I'm going to ask you to hear this in a slightly different way this evening. It would be easy just for me to speak about these words and, and for you to just uh, hear some of that, uh, remember some of it, maybe forget some of it, and go away again. But I think the crunch for tonight is what is challenging you at this moment in time in your discipleship as a follower of Jesus Christ? In a way, this follows on from this morning when uh, we had particularly the challenge of loving one another and in following in Jesus' example, we have over a hundred footprints that have been placed here in front of me. I'm hesitant to, to walk either to my left or to my right. don't want to step on the footprints tonight. Uh, these were placed as part of the response to hearing that challenge this morning. We're broadening the challenge this evening. We're thinking of all elements, really, of being effective disciples. And one of the things that I did in preparation for tonight was to ask myself, what is challenging me especially at the moment? What, I'm what am I feeling especially challenged about in my discipleship? I'll tell you what that is at the end of the sermon. And then we're going to sing a song, and then I'll come round with the roving microphone, which I know you love. And uh, not, to not to put pressure on you, but I'm sure that there are those of you who will be thinking as I speak, what is challenging you in your discipleship 
your walk with God, your faith journey at this point in time? What's really challenging you at the moment? Not what was challenging you yesterday or 10 years ago or whenever. What's challenging you now in your discipleship? And it will be uh, great if we can share some of that so that when we come to pray, we're really praying for what's going on in our lives here and now as God is speaking to us. So that's all to come. But what about these words? How do they uh, open up this great theme? Well, oh dear, there's so much I could say about this, so I need to be careful. And just focus on three things, really. First is your calling, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. We notice that Paul wrote these words, as a prisoner for the Lord. And that's supposed to be understood in two ways. It's likelihood, it's likely that he wrote this letter from prison. And therefore, he was literally in chains. But also, he wrote as one who felt spiritually bound to make clear the whole purpose of God for the people of the world of his day. And after three chapters that had a more doctrinal emphasis, he now comes on to the more practical part of his letter. But he's writing as a prisoner of the Lord. He feels bound by God to declare the whole truth concerning following Jesus Christ. And for him, he was writing that from the chains of prison. So he writes with conviction, he writes with urgency about the way people of God need to live. And in this first verse, what he's really saying is that God has called you. God has called you. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And calling is not just for special people. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, then God has called you. He hasn't just called me or other people. He's called you. And when you decided to follow Jesus Christ, all right, it was your decision. But it was also a response to the call of God. There are two sides to the same coin, your choice and God's call. And I think it's a mistake to put emphasis on one or the other. That when we become Christians, it's not just what we do. It's not just what God does. It's both of those together. And the word you in English is the same singular and plural. And at this point in the letter, it is plural. So what the Apostle Paul is saying to the congregation that was reading these words, God has called all of you. All of you together. And all of us who read this letter are called by God today. We may not always realize that God has called us. Samuel didn't realize that God was calling him. But once he did realize, he responded willingly. And maybe this evening you're thinking that God has called other people, but he's not called you. The challenge for discipleship is for other people, but it's not for you. But that's not what this says. We are all called. And God has called you for a purpose. We sometimes say of others, or maybe ourselves, get a life. But here the Apostle Paul is saying, live a life. God has called you to live a life, to live fully for Jesus, to live a life worthy of your calling. We'll come on to that a little bit in a minute, but live a life with a purpose. The last thing that should be the case is that our Christian life is dull and boring. We of all people need to be the most excited by life. Live a life worthy of the calling 
you have received. That word worthy literally means to balance on the scales. The worth of God and what he has done. And the worth of your life when you come to him. And the life you must live needs to reflect the value that God places on your life and the lengths that he has gone to secure your calling. So the challenge for effective discipleship begins when we really realize that God has called you and called you for a purpose. So how does that then begin to work out in practice? Well, these words go on to talk a bit about our character, the kind of ways that we behave. A lot has been written in recent times about the relationship between being and doing. And in the challenge of effective discipleship, we live a life worthy of the calling we've received. How much of that is worked out in what we do? How much is it worked out in who we are? Well, of course, it's both equally together. Here are some qualities as to the kind of person we need to be. First, there's humility. I thought I could play football until I met David Beckham. I thought I could sing until I met Luciano Pavarotti. I thought I could skate on ice until I met Torval and Dean. I thought I could preach until I heard Tony Campolo. I thought I knew how to live until I met Jesus Christ. And setting your life and mine beside the life of Jesus is the surest way to encourage humility. It doesn't mean regarding ourselves as useless or worthless, but recognizing our weakness and inadequacy because we're just very ordinary human beings. We then say our confidence and trust is in Jesus Christ. And we come to one another in a spirit of humility because we are all equally dependent upon Jesus. Humility is having the right view of ourselves and of others set against the benchmark of Jesus Christ. We need to live in humility. We need to live with gentleness. Other translations use meekness here. A word that describes strength under control, not weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. A quality of someone who has a strong personality, who is nevertheless a master of himself or herself and a servant of others. Gentleness means living under God's control. That sense of God's presence and stability. Not taking away the various emotions that color our daily lives but guarding our minds and our emotions so that our thoughts are taken captive by Christ and under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of gentleness that will make such a difference in our home and family life. Bring back tenderness, love and compassion. That kind of gentleness in the church will create a climate of growth and restoration for those who struggle and maybe have failed and need to be encouraged in the way of Christ. Such gentleness in the world 
will present a view of Christianity that mirrors Christ and presents him to others. Humility, gentleness, patience, patience. Or its alternative version, solitaire, which is sometimes thought of as a game that you play on your own, on the computer or on the phone. Or perhaps when you're bored on a long-distance flight, watched a couple of films and don't know what else to do, so you go for the solitaire instead. But patience in the dictionary is the state of endurance under difficult circumstances. And from a Christian perspective, Christian patience is the spirit that never admits defeat, will not be broken by any misfortune or suffering, not be deterred by any disappointment or discouragement, but persists gently and carefully to the end. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, otherwise known as forbearing. Forgiveness is what we have to offer to those who've directly and knowingly done wrong. Forbearance is how we act towards those who have made life difficult for us with no ill intent. They mean well, and yet they still drive us up the wall. And in the Christian community, there are always going to be those who will drive you up the wall. And you need to bear with one another, and I need to bear with one another. These are the kind of personal qualities that are part of our effective discipleship. So it's God challenging you, perhaps, in some of these areas tonight, in the areas of your character. There's something that's got to be shaped, changed. Just think about that for a minute. Is this part of the challenge that God is bringing to you in your effective discipleship? Something about your character. This passage then goes on to talk about some of the foundations of our faith. We need to look at those as well. Sound foundations are what sit underneath uh, the visible part of a building. And underneath our effective discipleship today needs to be the same foundations. And there are seven of them. You could say that there was one for each day of the week, but we know that they belong together and they're equally important. I just touch on them very briefly. One body. And this foundation comes immediately after the challenge in the passage about unity, about making every effort to maintain unity of spirit through the bond of peace, because we're one body. How are we to maintain unity in the church when we're so different? By remembering that we stand on the same foundation and we're called to live out with the same character. And that first foundation is that there is just one body. The New Testament knew plenty about church tension. Not so much about church division. And just as the physical body of Christ was one body, so the spiritual body of Christ is called to be one body. That's very challenging when we discern and understand things differently. One body. One spirit. That togetherness of the body can only happen because there is one spirit. That the Holy Spirit brings unity as a gift. And he is the spirit of holiness that wants to lead us to a holy life. 
that is pleasing to God in every way. So again, character is important as we affirm that there is one spirit. There is one hope. A word, of course, that can be understood in many different ways. Uh, at a superficial level, you hope uh, that you get on all right in some exams or you hope you feel better soon or something like that. The end result might be good. It might not be so good. But hope in the Christian sense is not, of course, to say something that might turn out well or might not turn out well. Hope for the Christian is the absolute certainty that the best is yet to come in life beyond this. So one hope, we all are in the same place where we look to something better. One Lord. Our postmodern society is used to many lords. And we don't seem to have a problem holding together quite a lot of different allegiances. But for the early Christians, this was a huge challenge because to say Jesus is Lord meant they refused to say Caesar is Lord. And for that, they were often persecuted, they suffered, and they were sometimes put in prison. I wonder whether this is the area that's really challenging you quite deeply in your discipleship tonight. Are you really saying that there is one Lord in your life and his name is Jesus? Or are there other things that are taking too much of a place? One faith, a key foundation stone because the church won't be alive without faith. And often that faith has to be stretched to the limit. Our basis of membership is a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And we therefore say publicly and clearly, I believe. I believe in Jesus, crucified, buried, raised, my Savior. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that faith alive in your heart and mind? as much as it should be? Is it a present-day reality? I believe now. One baptism. We may understand baptism in different ways, but what holds us together is the fact that in one way or another, we have publicly declared before God that we're following Jesus Christ. I treasure the memory of my baptism. I hope you do of yours or your confirmation if you began a Christian life in a church which had a different pra practice and then you publicly and uh, joyfully confirmed your faith, whatever it was, this is a key foundation stone. And one God and Father who is above all, Lord of all, works through all, and is in all. Not that God is part of everything and everything is part of God. That's what the theologians call pantheism. We don't believe that. We believe in the sovereignty of God, who is not, as it were, absorbed by his creation, but is deeply involved in his creation. A holy, awesome God, not distant but coming alongside. These are 
key foundations. So are any of these foundations a bit shaky? Are you being challenged in your effective discipleship that these foundations should be strong? Or if you are, are you being challenged in other ways? Now, if we had time, we could go on through the rest of Ephesians 4, and we would find a lot more about using the gifts of the Spirit of God, that Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his body, so that we all reach unity of faith and knowledge of Son of God, become mature, not being tossed to and fro, and so on. And then there's some practical instructions about how you live as the chapter goes on. There is so much here, but I don't want to spend ages and ages telling you what is in this text. You can read it for yourself. The crunch tonight is what is actually challenging you about your discipleship now and what is challenging me? So here are a few questions. I wonder, do you have a strong sense of call to follow Jesus? Is that sense of call what's challenging you? Are you actually just drifting along? You're not feeling that tonight you are called by God to be a follower of Jesus and a witness to Jesus. Is that where God is challenging you? Are your character traits following the example of Jesus or are there areas of character that need more attention? Are you feeling challenged in that way? Are you clear about the foundations of your faith in Jesus Christ or is there something there? that's a little bit wobbly. What is particularly challenging you as you work out this passage in your life today? Are there specific things that are playing on your mind because God is challenging you about how being a follower of Jesus makes a difference in what you do? I told you that I would share a little bit about what's challenging me. I'll do that now, and then we'll sing a song, and then there'll be an opportunity for you to share, maybe just a, a phrase or a thought to anything that is particularly challenging you at the moment. I don't want you to feel you have to say something, but it will be good to hear from one another so that our prayers can really focus on the challenges that we feel. This is what's challenging me at the moment. Uh, a number of things, but uh, just one or two. I'm being challenged about a healthy spirituality. We ran the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course twice, uh, towards the end of last year and into this year. And, and that course is deeply challenging about a healthy spirituality that has an appropriate balance between prayer and action, work and rest. And I'm being challenged about how healthy is my devotional life at this point in time. It's a challenge that's lived with me on and off over the years, but it's especially there at the moment. Another challenge that is particularly with me at the moment is handling difference in the church community. It's one thing for me to preach the words from Ephesians 4, that uh, you make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that there is one body, one Spirit, and so on. We hear these words. I am challenged 
when that comes to listening carefully to what different people think and how different people understand a particular issue and how to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That is a challenge that I'm wrestling with at this point in time. A very particular challenge that I'm wrestling with is being a presence on social media because I know I need to be a little bit more evident in this other world that is out there, which for many people is a big part of their life. Uh, and I'm just a little bit nervous in that world, so that, that challenges me. I'm challenged very much about the next generation of believers and of leaders. I think of it in my own family. Our grandson Noah is 10, last year at primary school, going on to secondary school. He's really beginning to see life. And we want to support him. And I think about what is life shaping up for him. But I also think in the church community, the next generation of ministers and leaders, is there anything I can do to help? Obviously, I do spend some time with those who are preparing for ministry. It's a great joy to do that. These are my challenges. And what are yours? Let's sing and then we'll share.